We just finished up a series where we were looking at some of the great uh, gals in the Bible, and it was really great. Next week, Pastor Joel kicks off a brand new series where we're going through the book of Matthew together. Now, we're gonna, not going to look at you know, every single verse, but the teaching team, which I'm a part of, and, and, and Joel and Lonnie and the whole team, Tim Gianosa, we're taking little sections of it and picking a section, and, and we're going to walk through the, the book of uh, the Gospel of Matthew together, and that starts next week. And one of the things that Joel does is he usually puts a week like this in between two series. In, in other words, it's kind of a, a week where, you know, we're, we're, you get to choose. And I can tell you, um, it's super difficult to just go, okay, so you want me just to pick something? Yeah. yeah. You know, g- g- give, me a, give me one of the gals in the Bible and I'm off to the races. I, I know where to go. Give me my text for Matthew or whatever, and I know where to go. I know how to, how to do something, but when all of a sudden it's just, you can pick anything you want between these two leather-bound covers. Wow. There's a whole lot of stuff here, a lot of wonderful, magnificent stuff here that God has written for us. And I can tell you, uh, and I told the teaching team I don't know, a couple weeks ago, man, I'm really struggling trying to find something. I know there's stuff in here, but man, what is it? And it was only the end of last week where all of a sudden I I began to think of the word encouragement. And um, so, you know, that's a big spotlight and you got to kind of narrow it down into a laser beam because you only have 30 or 40 minutes here and um, so my, my goal my hope is is that when we're done here that somehow the words that are written in your Bible are an encouragement to you that you walk out here super encouraged you know there was a time in your life when you were apart from Christ um, you were a, a, a resident down here on planet Earth, right? You had a home, you had an apartment or whatever, but you were apart from Christ. And at the moment you gave your life to Jesus, at that very moment, not only do you have a resident, you know, residence down here, but you now become a citizen of heaven. And it's something that Pastor Joel has really been hammering home to all of us who call this their church family, that we all have a residence somewhere. We live somewhere. But we're also citizens of heaven. And so what I did was I kind of boiled it down to just five things that will never happen to a citizen of heaven. In other words, these are five things that that, that God would never allow to happen to you as his child. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a Christian, if you've surrendered your life over to the Lord, these are five things that will never, you never have to worry about, okay? And I'm gonna walk through them kind of quickly, okay? And the first one is this, that God promises that nothing will ever happen to you that will cause him to love you less or more than he does right now. 
And this is uh, something that uh, believers struggle with. And the reason why we struggle with it is because God gave us the ability to emote. We have emotions, and so we feel certain things. And just because you feel something doesn't mean it's true. I, in my, you know, 40 years of being here, I've talked with lots of people who told me that they felt like they were saved. I've asked them, hey, are, are you saved? If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? And they said, you know, I feel like I would. Well, tell me, why, why, why would you go to heaven? Well, I'm a good guy. I'm a good gal. Well, it doesn't matter how they felt. They felt like they were saved. But they weren't. And then I've had, you know, countless hundreds of believers here at this church who I know have given their life to Jesus Christ. They know Christ. They've surrendered their life over to Christ, and they've said to me, I don't feel like I'm saved. And that's why the journey of faith is not based upon your feelings. As I tell you, your feelings just have no IQ. You can't educate them. Our journey of faith is based upon the truth of this book, the truth of the Word of God. Now, I'm thankful for my feelings, and oftentimes my feelings are based on reality. But oftentimes my feelings aren't based on reality. Oftentimes your feelings aren't based on reality. And so this first one, that God promises that nothing will ever happen to you that will cause him to love you less or more than he does right now is a truth, Christian. Probably one of the very first scriptures that I memorized was what God said through the great prophet Jeremiah. He said this, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying... And here it is. Here's the quote from God. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with loving kindness. Now, obviously, God is talking to a certain group of people in the Old Testament, but I want you to know that's true for you today if you know him. He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, before you were ever conceived, God knew who you were, Christian, and he loved you. When you were being formed inside your mother's womb, Christian, God knew you and he loved you. When you were, were, were born and, you know, you were living apart from Christ, God knew you and he loved you. On the day that God drew you to himself and opened your eyes to the truth and, and, and you surrendered your life over to him, he knew you and he loved you. And today or yesterday or in 20 minutes, when you sin, God knows you and he loves you. God doesn't love you any more because you're in church tonight than he did yesterday. God didn't love you any more because you came up and put an offering in the basket and maybe some of you said, you know, I'm, I'm not giving tonight. I don't feel good about it. You're angry with God or whatever it might be and you didn't give. Guess what? God doesn't love you any less. God loves you. 
deeply. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter five. But God showed you how much he loved us by having Jesus Christ die for us, even though we were sinful. I want you to know, the, the implications of Romans 5 here are just cataclysmic. When Jesus went to the cross, when he voluntarily gave up his life, the second person of the Holy Trinity, He's up there dying on a cross for people who do not know him, love him, or care about him. He was dying on that cross for you. That, that's a demonstration of just how much Jesus loves you. Now, I know some of you are thinking to yourself, man, Pastor, what, why? Why does God love me? And you have no idea, Pastor, what I've done in my life, how many affairs I've had. You don't, you don't know why I was in prison. You have no idea how I've used the Lord's name in vain. You don't know anything about me. Why would God love me? And I want you to know, that's a great question. And the Bible gives us an answer. In fact, if you go to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, in chapter one, it says this in verse 26. God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. That's why. You see, God made goats but goats weren't made in his image. God made, you know, eagles, but they weren't made in his image. God made a trout, but they weren't made in his image. God made a cow, but they weren't made in his image. God made a, a rose, but they weren't made in his image. God created it all, only you, Christian, only you were made in his image. And that's why he loves you so deeply. That's why he cares about you. That's why he went to a cross and, and died for you. Our, our, our brother John said this. He said, whoever does not love, whoever does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. That's what he is. This is how uh, God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This, is, this isn't about whether you, know, you think or feel like you're lovable. There's nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the fact that God is love. You were made in his image, and he sent his son here to die on a cross for you. That's how much he loves you. So the first encouraging thing I want you to know and remember is this. And by the way, it's my favorite one of all of them. I had to keep paring things down, but 
is that God promises nothing will ever happen to you that will cause him to love you less or more than he does right now. And that's what motivates us to want to give. See, that's what motivates us to want to serve him. That's what motivates us to want to live a holy and godly life is because of his incredible love. God doesn't want you to think that he's just waiting for you to blow it, you know, and uh, okay, there you blew it. And he's ready to, you know, mess with your life. He doesn't motivate you out of fear like that. He doesn't want that. The motivation for us to live godly lives and holy lives and serve him in the church and bring our gifts and, 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 and all that is because of his incredible love for us. So on a scale from one to five, just want you to think about this for a second. How encouraging does this thought bring to you? One, you know what, Pastor, it really doesn't, I don't care. You know, three, it's kind of encouraging. Or wow, that is an encouraging thought to know that because I'm a citizen of heaven, because I've given my life over to Christ, he loves me. And there ain't anything I can do to make him love me more, and there ain't anything I can do to make him love me less. Number two. God promises that nothing will ever happen to you apart from his presence. Matthew, in Matthew chapter uh, 28, Jesus said this. He's talking to his disciples. Okay, that's the context. But it's true for us also. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I want you to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus said to these guys, I'm with you always. I'm with you. And if Jesus were here today, he could say the same thing to you, Christian. There isn't anything that's gonna happen to your life, to your family, to your business, whatever it might be, apart from him. Because he is with you always. In Matthew chapter one, Matthew reminds us of what the great prophet Isaiah said about Jesus. He said, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's, that's his name. That God is with us. In 1 Corinthians chapter nine, kind of a famous verse or a popular verse for good reason. It says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? Your, your body, this, this earth suit that simply connects you to the physical, this, this doesn't get to go to heaven. 
absent from the body, present with the Lord. Your, your spirit will go to heaven if you were to die right now. This doesn't go. This is simply the headquarters of sin. It's your flesh. This is where the, this is where the old man lives, the old nature. It's your Adamic nature, whatever word you want to use. But contained within this flesh is the Holy Spirit. At the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, God's Holy Spirit came into you. You now are the very place that the third person of the Holy Trinity actually lives. So obviously, something that happens to you, something that happens to your family, you're, you're never apart from him. Now, you may feel like he's not a part of what's going on. I get it. But you need to know the truth. The truth is he lives inside of you. you know, this side of, of heaven, life can be difficult. This, light of, this side of heaven, you know, stuff happens. Jesus said in John chapter 16, in this life you're going to have troubles. Right? They're, 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 they're going to happen to your life. And when they happen, I want you to be encouraged by this promise from God that you may be going through a really crummy time, life may be kidney punching you, but here's the thing He's with you in that moment. Now, I've shared this with you before. I realize we all want a God who, you know, doesn't allow us to go through any crummy things. I've shared with you the story at our house. We have the cabinets that open up. Well, we've actually, we built a new pantry, so all that food moved into another pantry. But we used to have these doors that opened, and in there were the chips and the, and the Pringles and, you know, all the good stuff. And one day I'd opened them up. The, the cabinet opened, and I'm looking, and a bag of chips fell. So I reached down to get the chips. We're talking what? Two seconds? One, two. Yeah, two seconds. In one second, I bent down, and I forgot that the cabinet was open. It's just one second. I just opened the thing. One second later, maybe it was a blood rush to my head, you know, I forget the cabinet's open, and bam! Hit my head. Oh. Anybody done that? Come on, come on, let me see. Yeah. See, here, here's what we all want. Listen to me. We all want a God who would shut the cabinet door. Don't we? And God says, no, you opened it, dummy. <laughs> you know, I, I, know, I don't shut it. Now, could he shut it? Yeah. And sometimes, you know, he does. And those things are called miracles, but he doesn't do them very often. That's why they're called miracles, right? My point is, is that God allows the natural things of life to happen. And they happen to us. And you can feel like, well, God has abandoned me. God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. And God's going, no. I, I died for you. I love you deeply. He, he allows troubles into our lives. 
When things are good, God is with you. When things are bad, God is with you. You're never alone. God is always with you. God said this in Hebrews chapter 13, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And that's a a promise we all need to, to hang on to. In Romans chapter eight, Paul writes this, for I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a truth. That's what you need to hang on to. God promises that nothing will ever happen to you apart from his presence. Now, once again, I want you to think about this. On a scale from one to five, how encouraging is that thought? Christian? Eh, you know, big deal. Or, you know, that's, that's kind of encouraging. Or, wow, you know, I know that's true. I just hadn't thought about it in a while. That, that's super encouraging. Number three, God promises that nothing will ever happen to you that he won't eventually work out for good in your life. God promises that nothing will ever happen to you, Christian. You're a citizen of heaven. You've given your life to Christ. He promises that nothing's gonna happen to you that won't eventually work out for good in your life. God said this through our brother Paul in Romans chapter eight. He says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And it's this first little phrase that I'm a little little worried about. And we know, some of you don't know that. Or you know it and you've forgotten it. You see, one of the things about our faith, one of the things about being a follower of Christ is that it's a thinking man's religion, if you will. We don't leave our brains at the, at the you know, doors. God wants us to use our intellect. And we know God wants us to know things. He wants us to use our minds and our brains. Listen to what uh, one of my favorite theologians said about this passage. He said, quote, for the Christian, this verse contains perhaps the most glorious promise in scripture. It is breathtaking in its magnitude encompassing absolutely everything that pertains to a believer's life. Wow. That's pretty good. Now that verse doesn't say that God, you know, won't allow bad things to happen to you. As I said, you know, God allows bad people to get into airplanes and fly them into buildings. God allows drunk people to get behind the wheel of their car and drive down the road and crash into cars. God allows cells in your body to go haywire and we get these things, you know, cancer. But what God does do is he says, listen, 
I, I don't take bad things and make them good. Bad things are bad things. But what I do is I take that bad thing and I use it in your life. I use it to help you become the man or the woman that God wants you to be. He's molding us and shaping us into who he wants us to be. And he uses, I have found, the bummers of life more than he uses the good things. Maybe that's not true for you. Dick Ellis, who was a great missionary, they wrote a book about him called Steel in His Soul. He used to be a member of our church a long, long time ago. Some of you remember Dick. He, when I was the youth guy here, he would come into my office like on Tuesdays or whatever day it was, Thursdays, I don't know what day it was, and he'd come in. It was such an encouragement, and he'd pray for me. And one day he said this, and I wrote it down, and I had it in my little file. He said, Rick, God doesn't waste trials on his people. And that's a truth, I think. Well, it is a truth, according to Romans 8. When you're going through something crummy, when you're going through a trial or whatever it is, he's not going to waste that. You may not like it. You may not feel good about it. I understand that. But wow, he's not going to waste it on your life. I remember a long, long time ago, seems like in a galaxy far, far away, um, if you're new here, you know, you saw my wife, Erin. But I was married once before. And my first wife was killed in an automobile accident. This was a long, long, long time ago. And uh, this was a promise that I had to hang on to. That somehow, some way, God was going to take this bad thing, and it was a bad thing. It will always be a bad thing. And he is going to use it somehow, some way in my life. At that time, I had a five-year-old daughter uh, in her life. He was going to use that in her parents' life, some of your lives. Somehow, he was going to use this horrible, crummy thing for his glory. He was going to use it in, in, in my life. And here's the thing. Can I list, thought about it this week, can I list five things? Here's five things that God did through that. I can. I, I, you know, that was a long time ago. I don't know. But it doesn't matter whether I know what they are or not. What I do know is what the scripture says. And God says, I'll work it out for good in your life. Whether you see it or not, or whether you can come up with a list or not of six things or eight things or 27 things. I did come up with something really weird that will make your heads explode. Okay? This is deep. No, 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 no kidding. If that doesn't happen, my first wife doesn't die tragically in a car wreck. I never meet this woman, and I don't have these two kids. And I couldn't imagine my life without this woman or these two kids. Now, I'm not saying 
that I'm glad it happened. It's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if that doesn't happen, then I don't meet Aaron and I don't have these two children. I, man, I don't know, beyond me. It's beyond me. How God works and all of that. There's going to be times when things don't make a whole lot of sense. And when that happens, here's the deal. Proverbs 3 is where you got to go. You just look at that truth. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't, don't lean on your own understanding. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of things where if you start leaning on your own understanding, oh, man, it's going to take you down a crummy road. You're going to get angry at God and be upset and be mad and, you know, have all kinds of weird feelings or whatever all those things might, might be. Instead, in all your ways, just acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Don't, don't be wise in your own eyes. In other words, don't, don't try to figure it all out. There's going to be some things you can't figure out. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord. Man, there's just some things that are just... Don't be wise in your own eyes. Just fear the Lord and shun evil. And sometimes that's all you can do as a follower of Christ because some things are just so, what? What? And it may not happen to you, but it happens in the world. I don't know, like a, I don't know the, the bad guys who flew planes into buildings or some dumb idiot who pulls a gun out and shoots a bunch of people in a school. Man, I don't get it. I'm just going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to fear you. And I'm going to shun evil. And somehow, Lord, I don't know. I'm not going to try to figure it out on my own. It's beyond my pay scale kind of a thing. So God promises that nothing will ever happen to you, that he won't eventually work out for good in your life. So... Once again, I want you to think about it on, a, on a, an encouragement scale, okay? How encouraging is, is that? And no matter what's happened to you in the past, and some of you right now might be thinking about something, you're going, you know what, I, I didn't know that truth in God's word. And now you're hanging on to that truth, that promise. Or maybe something's gonna happen in the future, and you're gonna go, you know what, I remember a message Pastor Rick preached, that God's gonna somehow use this. Is that you or, you know, I, I don't care. I want you to really think about it. How encouraging is that, that truth? Here's the fourth uh, promise, okay? God promises that nothing will ever happen to you that will keep you from occupying the home he's building for you in heaven. Nothing. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me, Jesus said. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I'm at. That's a promise. Now, I don't want anybody here to think that when God, you know, when Jesus walked out of the tomb and finally ends up in glory, that somehow he put on a tool belt and he's up there, you know, building homes. He's, help, he's trying to help us understand something. I'm, I'm going to build a place for you. There, there, there's a place for you. 
If, you, if, if you've given your life to, to God's son, you've become a citizen of heaven. And one of the great promises is, is that he's got a place for you there and there isn't anything that's gonna keep you from that place. Nothing, not, not one thing. In John chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Nobody can snatch them out of my hand. Think about it, this is Jesus, nobody. If you've given your life to him, he says, nobody can snatch you out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. And then he says, hi, and the father are one. Look, Christian, both the Father and the Son are committed to protecting you. This is one of the great passages, maybe the greatest passage on the security of a believer. Yes, you may have taken off and turned your back on God and you're running. You're never gonna run out of his palm. And even if you could, guess what? Then you got the Father's palm. The decision you made was genuine and you gave your life to Christ. I don't care where you're at right now. Well, you know, I got an uncle who used to believe and now he doesn't believe. So if your uncle truly believed or whoever that person is truly believed, you think he ran out of the palm of the Lord? You don't think God the Father and God the Son can keep you? Let me tell you something. Give you two thoughts. One, if you could run out of the palm of the Father's hands, you would. Your sinful nature is so powerful, your Adamic nature. If you could, if you could lose your salvation, you would. And number two, if you could lose your salvation, there's no such thing as good news. It's just isn't. It's not good news. Because every one of us, our sinful nature would, would cause us to, but, but you can't. If the decision that was made was genuine, even if your uncle says, I don't believe, I don't believe, I don't believe. You know what? If their decision was genuine, whenever that decision was to follow Christ, you know what? Sin is a powerful thing. Satan is good at what he does, and they're just so blinded right now. But if that decision was genuine, God promises that place he prepared for you, you're, 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 gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna end up there. So, how encouraging is that? Is that an encouraging thought to you? That if you've given your life to the Lord, that there isn't anything that's gonna keep you from going to that place that Jesus went to prepare, that the Son has you and the Father has you, regardless of whatever stupid things you might do. And last but not least, the fifth promise, God promises that nothing will ever happen to you that you can't handle by his power and his grace. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we read these words, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful, and he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Look, you have God inside of you, remember? And you may feel like, I can't, I can't handle this temptation. I can't handle this thing that's happening in my life. And the reality is, you may not be able to under your own power. But we don't go through this life under our own power. We have Jesus living inside of us. So here we have the greatest power source known to mankind. In fact, listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1. This was a prayer. He says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you have understand so that you can understand the confident hope that he's given to those he called his holy people who are rich and glorious inheritance. And then he says this in verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Paul says, let me tell you how I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you would have spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom, that you would really know this, that you'd be in tune with this. I I, I think Paul understood we're all in tune with our feelings. But Paul wanted us to be in tune with this, that you would really know and understand this, the truth in this. And then he says, I pray that you would understand the incredible power that you have within you. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You have it right now, Christian. That power source is in you right now. I don't care what it is you're facing right now. I don't care what it is you'll face tomorrow or the next day or whatever if the Lord should tarry is coming. Whatever it is, you have the juice to overcome it in a God-honoring way. That's why Paul says in Philippians chapter four, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Because he understood the power that he had within him. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, Paul was one of a handful of people who actually got to go to heaven. He actually saw heaven. Okay, there were a few Old Testament prophets who actually got a glimpse of heaven. Obviously, John got to see heaven. He writes about it in Revelation. Paul actually got to see heaven. One of the few guys that got to, he was actually taken there. And God said to him, you don't get to write about it though. Why? Who knows? So, so he says, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, man, he actually got to see heaven. There was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. 
Three times. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Three times I, I prayed with, that, that God would take it away from me. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, therefore, because of the head, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You don't see Paul going, man, man, God, I, I, I prayed three times that you'd take this crummy thing from me. And we don't really know what it was. A lot of scholars think it might have been his eyes because his eyes weren't very good. And he kind of mentions that in, in a couple of his writings. He couldn't see real well. But you don't see him going, man, God, man, I hate you, God. What a bummer. I'm trying to do all these things for you, God. This isn't fair. He just prays, and he, he prays, and he prays. And God spoke to him and said, listen, Paul, it ain't going to happen, brother. But here is what's going to happen. You have my power inside of you, Paul. And those weaknesses that you have are going to make you rest on me all the more. And so Paul says, wow, okay, if that's, if that's how this works, then man, I'm okay with those weaknesses then. Because I know God's power is working through me. And I want you to know something, Christian. If you're a citizen of heaven... God's saying that to you, too. You may have gone to God once, twice, three times. Maybe you're battling cancer. Maybe you're battling something else, and you've gone to God over and over again, maybe more than three times. That's okay. But it could be that God's saying to you exactly what he said to Paul. Hey, I know you got cancer. I know this is crummy. But you have me in you. My power's in you. And like Paul, you got a choice to make at that moment. You can be angry and upset. And, or you can say, okay. I'll respond like Paul and go, okay, God, if, if that's the case, then I'm going to rest in your power. Zacharias, in chapter 4, it says, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So God promises that nothing will ever happen to you that you can't handle by his power and grace. You'll be able to do it. Not in your own power, but his power. So on a scale from 1 to Five. Is that encouraging to know? That God lives in you and that you, you have his grace, his power in your life to accomplish whatever it might be? So everybody stand up, okay? We're going we're gonna to say these, uh, these five things out loud together, okay? So, so um, we'll, we'll, we'll do them here, out loud together, and then we'll go out and eat or whatever they got, whatever they got out there, okay? So number one, here we go. God promises to love me no matter what. That was, that was weak. That was weak. Come on. Come on. Here we go. Number one. 
God promises to love me no matter what. Number two, God promises to be with me forever. Number three, God promises to work out all things for my good. Number four, God promises to take me to heaven. Number five, God promises that his power and grace will help me through any situation. Come on, hey, listen, isn't that good? Isn't that good? Man. Look, folks, all of your pastors that serve here are well aware that life gets to be a bummer. We get it. We're not tone deaf to the things that are going on in your lives. But one of the things that we want to be able to do is just, hey, we want to remind you of the truth. I want to remind you of these encouraging things. Father, thanks for your goodness to us. Thank you for these truths. There were, there were just hundreds of them, and I don't know whether I got the right five or not. I just hope somehow these truths would encourage my family here as they've encouraged me. And uh, Lord, thanks. You're good, you're good, you're good. And I pray this in your name. And all the God's people said... Amen. Amen.